So we're glad you're all here. Now that I've got you here. Ah. So only a couple of people left on stretchers this morning, so we're good. <laughs> Tougher message than usual, um, but necessary. And, you know, one that, as, as I was putting it together through the week, um, things kept happening as they normally do, and, and God just kept showing me things about me, and, and obviously um, pricked my heart first. So I pray that it has as much of an impact on you as it, does, as it did me. But I think, you know, sometimes that's the, the thing, is, is that, you know, we shy away from the, message that the messages or, or even the preachers that challenge us. The reality is, is that we're supposed to be challenged. We're supposed to be changed. We're supposed to be convicted. We're supposed to be rerouted, corrected, exhorted, and encouraged, right? But we should hear a little bit of that in every message. And so this morning, I'm going to preach a message out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. But it, it, the, the title of the message is, is Paradigm of the Priesthood. And so... A paradigm is a, a typical example or mod, model of something. And in this case, I'm hoping to clarify to you all what the typical model of priesthood is, since according to Scripture, all of us who are believers in Christ are part of. The Christian church is actually a kingdom of priests, if you will. And I'll explain that in greater detail. But first, let's look at what a priest is and, and what their role is for the kingdom and in the kingdom of God. So under the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, we saw that priests were chosen from the Levitical tribe and separate from the rest of Israel. Only these chosen priests were given access to holy places. So the Holy of Holies was one of these places. It was where the Ark of the Covenant was stored and kept, and, and it was, a, it was separated, it separated from the rest of the tabernacle or temple by this Huge veil. And the veil and the elaborate rituals undertaken by the priest before he would enter this area were a reminder that man could not carelessly or irreverently enter God's awesome presence, and we still shouldn't. Solomon himself wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he said, Do not be quick with your mouth or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. We need to remember who we're addressing, right? It's a lack of understanding and reverence sometimes for God that leads us to these thoughtless, impulsive words that Solomon is talking about when we enter into his presence in prayer and worship. Francis Chan said, Solomon warned us not to rush, rush into God's presence with words. That's what fools do, and often that's what we do. When Jesus died and committed his spirit to the Father, the veil was torn. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, it says that the curtain, the veil, was torn from top to bottom. And when this happened, all believers were given direct access to God. We no longer needed a priest to petition God on our behalf. We could enter into the Holy of Holies on our own now because the perfect once and for all sacrifice, the Lamb of God, his blood was spilt on the mercy seat, and God's wrath was satisfied. 
those of us who have been given ourselves to follow Jesus, who have, excuse me, who have given ourselves to follow Jesus, have been spared of God's wrath. We not only went from death to life, but also from sinners to saints, to priesthood, as it were. A priest is someone who is given authority to teach the sacred information and perform the sacred duties to preserve and bring that faith to others. A priest teaches proper reverence, gratitude, praise, sacrificial giving, worship, and a way of life that defines the faith. And how do they teach those things? I mean, obviously through speech. But most importantly, or just as importantly, it's through their lives. It's how they live. And so the major issue Jesus had with priests and religious leaders of this time, or his time here on earth, was the fact that they were more concerned with preserving their titles and authority than living out the commands that God had given them to love others and to love him. Jesus is unchanging, as we all know. And that means these things are still something he hates. And that means as members of his priesthood now, there is an expectation that we live this out and glorify him in the process. So let's look at the priesthood and what that means for us. Before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this time that you've set aside for us to worship you, to hear from you, to come together. Lord, I, I know that sometimes we need to hear tougher messages. And I know, Father, that you put this on my heart for a reason. So I pray, God, that all of us here in this room would be open to hear what you have to say. Father, that you would stir our hearts, our souls, and our minds, Lord. That you would move us to change and growth and maturity. Father, that we would, through messages like these, God, become the church that you've called us to be. Father, that we would come together, united, on one accord, and in full agreement, to serve you, to serve others, and to be a bright, shining light in this community. But Lord, have your way now in this message. Open our hearts and our minds. Help us to receive what's said. Help this messenger to get out of the way as you increase and I decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, <clears throat> starting in verse 4, it says, In coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. Jesus is that living stone. You also, as living stones, <clears throat> are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected 
This became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. Chosen nation, a royal priesthood. So I'm going to try to break this down as much as I can in the time we have, but in the few points I've put together, the first one is the privilege of the priesthood. The privilege. And in verses you know, 4 through 7, we see this, that this priest, the privilege of this priesthood is for all believers. That all of us who have entered into this faith and following of Jesus Christ are now entered in to the priesthood and whatever that entails. Faith is the only qualification. It's not seminary. It's, it's not how well you've behaved or performed until this point in your life. It's all through grace, through faith. And so here we are. And so when you receive an amazing gift like this, when you receive an amazing responsibility like this, we have to ask, what next? What does this mean for me? Where do I go from here? And so in verse 4, as we just read, Peter states that the foundation of God's building is his son, Jesus Christ, the living stone, as he puts it. And then he calls us, believers of Jesus, living stones. And he does this in order to paint the picture that those of us who come to Jesus and place their lives upon this foundation are part of him. That we're being built on him, part of his holy, solid foundation. Right? And then Peter goes on in verse 6 and 7 to quote Isaiah 23 when he refers to Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Now back then, a cornerstone was the foundation stone. It was the first stone laid when you were building a structure. And so that stone dictated where all the other stones were placed. They were all laid in reference to that stone, and that determined their direction. And that's who Christ is for us, amen? He's our foundation. He's our direction. He's the cornerstone of his church, and because of this, we are promised that it shall never fail, ever. That the gates of hell will not prevail over this church. That is a privilege that we have, that we know we are insured victory, regardless of the schemes of the enemy or the darkness of this world. So church, as living stones, we're part of this holy structure that God has created, and with that comes great privilege. In the Old Testament, there were places that only priests could go and things that only priests could do. And we now have those privileges. We can approach the throne of the Most High God with confidence that he hears us and our requests. We don't need to go to somebody else to talk to him. That in Christ, we can petition him directly. 
that Jesus intercedes on our behalf all day long. And therefore, we are called to pray without ceasing. That's the expectation, is that we're in constant connection and communication with God. That doesn't mean you just kneel down all day long or you're in your prayer closet all day. What that means is is he's with us wherever we go and we acknowledge that. That we live before the face of God constantly in recognition of his presence in our lives. What a privilege to know that he'll never leave us, that he'll never forsake us. That he's always constantly working all things out for good to those of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. And what does that mean? What does that look like? It means that he's sanctifying us constantly, that he's making us more and more like his son Jesus as life goes on, as he's promised. It says, he who began this good work in you is faithful to complete it until that day. And so some days you may not feel like it. You may not feel so much like Jesus. You may not look so much like Jesus, but even then, And especially then, God is working and transforming and changing your life. Our job is to constantly be aware of that. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. And listen to this part. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Jesus can connect with us on a level that no other priest could. Jesus knows exactly what we've been through and what we're going through and what we will go through. And he's been through worse, he's endured worse, and he did it for us. So anytime you're tempted, anytime you're persecuted, anytime people hate you for your love of God, anytime things are not going right or as you hoped, Jesus has suffered the same and yet without sin endured. We can speak to God directly through our high priest, Jesus. Jesus has given us access to the throne room of God, and as I said, continues to intercede for us. Unlike the priests of the Old Testament, we have the privilege of a high priest, as I said, that can identify with us to a greater degree than anyone. You know, what happened when Jesus came was as he spent a lot of time rebuking those religious people, didn't he? You know, their religion got in the way. He said, you know, you, you strain out gnats and you choke on camels. You major on minors and you minor on majors. You worry too much about the things that don't matter. And yet you don't even know how to love others or love me the way I've called you to. And so... Those priests who had zero connection with their people, Jesus came and showed them how it was done. And he's shown us how it's done. 
He stood for truth and righteousness. He had commands, not suggestions. He lived a holy and upright life. And in his great commission for us all, he said, now go, make disciples. And what does that mean? It means teaching them all that I commanded you. All that I commanded you. We also have the privilege of of eternity with him, our high priest. Not only do we have access to him now, but we have access to him forever. And no priest could make such a boast. Right? So I want to talk about the expectation. Because, sure, there are privileges. Sure, we, we have eternal hope. Sure... We can go places and do things in the name of the Lord. But there's expectation too. Who has teenagers? Everybody chuckles. Right? There's that stage in their life where they want all the privileges, all the rights, stay up late, do all the things that adults can do, but they don't want the responsibilities. Everybody, hmm, yeah. And there's this, there's this transition where we as parents are supposed to guide them through that process and say, no, if you want these privileges, then you need to meet these responsibilities, right? That there's, there's a certain amount of maturity that comes along with this, that we're not just going to throw this at you so you can abuse them. Right? Well, it's kind of the same with us. You know, God has expectation on us as well. With that privilege comes expectation. And if all we did was just take the privilege, take the gifts from God, and gave nothing back, we'd have to ask ourselves, how serious are we? Where are we in this? So James Foss said, the priesthood of God has become the eminent power for good in the world. We're no longer a handful of people on the fringes of society. This great power for good has been entrusted to us, and we must not weaken by failing in our responsibilities. We are the great power for good. We, the church people, every single one of you sitting in this room and beyond that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You are the great power for good that, is, that has been entrusted to this world. And we must not weaken by failing in our personal responsibilities. There is so much going on right now, isn't there? Has anybody flicked on the news in the last 24 hours? It's insane, isn't it? It's disheartening. It's discouraging. Horrible tragedies in Haiti right now. Horrible tragedies in the Middle East right now. Fires all over the globe. Everything's gone awry. Here in our country, everyone's divided. Politics, race wars, everything that you can think of is being thrown at us. And if we fall into the world's perspectives and the secular views, if we buy into the fact that we are not the great power for good that God has placed in this world strategically 
This church isn't an accident. You being in this church isn't an accident. You living where you live isn't an accident. You working where you work is not an accident. The connections you have is not an accident. The influence you have is not an accident. The affluence you have is not an accident. All the things that you have and all the, all the, the, the resources that you have are not an accident. God has entrusted those things to us so that we can be his light in a dark, dark world. And so when we see people suffering and when we see things going crazy, we have hope, but we also have duty. We need to rise up, church. And whatever that looks like, you know, if that means writing a letter to someone who's lonely or paying a visit, connecting with somebody who's in prison or in a nursing home, or making cupcakes like Nettie does. Man, I can't not eat those, by the way. It doesn't matter what you do as long as you do it for the glory of God. He's given us all gifts. He's given us all abilities. He's given us time. There's so many things that we have to offer, and some people think, well, I'm not that good, or I can't do what he does, or she does this so much better than me. Why, why are we comparing ourselves? God has just said, you, go. Make a difference. You know, sometimes it's the simplest conversation or a word of encouragement that can turn someone's whole world around. And it's timely, and God puts you in people's path and, and, and at specific times because he knows they need to hear from him. And we can't neglect that. That's our duty. So verses 5 and 9 here, it says some statements made that could be missed if we gloss over them too quickly. Verse 5, it says, we're to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. What is an acceptable spiritual sacrifice, you may ask? Want to come up and preach, brother? Come on, you got it. <laughs> Good man, Jim. Amen. I think sometimes is, is what we do is, is we, we separate spirituality from real life. You know, in the scriptures, as I just mentioned, it says do everything for the glory of God. Everything should be worshipful. The way we love our spouses, our kids, the way we treat our neighbors, how we handle authority, how hard we work, how deeply we love, integrity, all these things, our spiritual disciplines and spiritual traits. And so, you know, we can't separate our spirituality from our life. It's not just for Sundays. It's not just for Bible study or that time in your prayer closet. You know, I think that's what it is, is sometimes we think we can only be spiritual when we come to church. But the reality is, is that it's, it's more important the moment you walk out of here. And so in Romans chapter 12, Paul says, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable service. 
Paul says. He's saying that this is the least you can do in light of your new role in the priesthood. In light of all I've just explained to you in these first 11 chapters about the grace of God, the love of God, the gospel of hope, and this new knowledge that you have, and this new life you have in Christ, the least you can do is be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And here's the problem. We have a disconnect. We have a a disconnect when it comes to what it means to offer a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice to God. We think, for some reason, as I said, that it's only in the context of church. And therefore, we fail in our service to make the impact that we should in the rest of the world. 1.7 billion people on this planet claim the name of Jesus Christ. That's a good portion of the entire population, isn't it? Jesus had 12. He had 12, and he turned the world upside down. Because it takes commitment. It takes full surrender to the will and the commands of God for us to live this out on a daily basis in the way that we're called to live it out in order for us to make the impact that the church is supposed to make. Can you imagine if all 1.7 billion people that claimed his name lived the way Paul did or Peter or James or John? Can you imagine what this world would look like right now? And you know, these were ordinary men. There was nothing special about them. Peter was, was fishing. And Jesus said, hey, I know you failed Hebrew school, but why don't you come follow me and be my disciple? And he just laughed. Okay. And he failed a lot. And he made mistakes. He put his foot in his mouth often, and we read about that. He denied Jesus on the night that he needed him most. And then Jesus came back and restored him, and Peter and his faith became the rock in which his church was built. And so I think what we do is, is we discount the power of commitment, the power of connection, the power of involvement. Showing up is, is, is a big part of it. How we manage our time. What are our gods? What's controlling our life right now? Where are we investing most of our time and energy? Is it him? If it's not, we need to look at it. Everything else in this world will pass away, it says. Only he is eternal. What we do for him is what matters. In that day, in biblical context, when you talked about a sacrifice, it meant something was put to death and offered to God. So what's a living sacrifice then? Well, the dictionary defines sacrifice as anything consecrated and offered to him, right? But Paul answers that immediately in verse 2 of of chapter 12 of Romans. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
And then Peter clarifies more in verse 9 where he says, but you are a chosen people, a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's look at that. You know, we're, we're supposed to be transformed by a renewed mind. No longer living the way we did before we knew the truth. And then we're supposed to prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And how do we do that? By how we live. And so what is our life telling other people? And then, and it says we're God's own, perfe- perfe- excuse me, possession called to proclaim his excellencies. God's own possession. We're no longer our own. We were bought at a price. We're called to be slaves to Jesus. And whatever that looks like, we're all slaves to something in this room. We all are. And so we have to ask ourselves, who do we want our master to be? Do we want something temporary and fleeting that doesn't fill us eternally, that only provides temporary gratification or hope? Or do we want to invest ourselves in a master that's promised us forever? Fullness of life. This begs the next question. Are we consumers or are we contributors of the kingdom? We all have to ask ourselves this. The priesthood requires that we are or become contributors. We show up to minister, not just to be ministered to. And I think that mindset, that is the perspective of the American church, is that what do I get out of this? We show up because we're in need, or we don't come when we're not. But the reality is, is that as, priesthood, as a priesthood, we're called to show up and minister. And I was talking to somebody after the first service. She'd been coming here for quite a while. You know, and she says, you know, sometimes I can't come because of this, this, and this. She says, and then today I realize when I don't come, it's not just me who misses out. And, and, and I said, Exactly. Because you have a story, you have a testimony, you may have a word on your heart for somebody that God's placed there. Someone may need a word of encouragement, a hug, just to be recognized sometimes because we can feel invisible, right? And so when we don't show up, we deprive others. And so that's part of it because this is a family of God, isn't it? These these aren't just these sweet sentimental terms that we use to make it feel good. We are are all adopted into the family of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. And so that means we should be connected. That means that we should be present. This is our home. And we're going to spend eternity together. Let's get used to it. Some of you are looking around like, oh, man. Not that guy. (laughs) But that's how it is. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. 
It's actually 4.11 through 12. It says, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. These gifts that he's given the body, individuals that are evangelists or pastors or teachers and prophets and apostles, those giftings that he gave had a purpose. It wasn't just to give people title or accolade or to make them feel more important than the others. No, not at all. It was to serve the priesthood. It was for the building up and the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So what does that mean? Well, a lot of times the way we see it, and as I said, we've got to change our perspectives, that we see that the pastors and the leaders and the elders are here to do all the work or to carry the lion's share, right? I show up on Sunday or I show up on this day or I tune in and then I go about my week and they'll take care of the rest. But the reality is, is according to scripture, that's wrong. That means we're doing church wrong. Because what it says is, is that all these people and their gifts and their positions are meant to equip all of you so that you can do the work of ministry. Imagine that. And that doesn't mean, you know, I've only been doing this for a few months. I can't do anything. This doesn't mean, you know, well, it's been a couple of years and I'm going to start you know, taking a look around when I get around to it. Pastor talked about it last week. You know, what ends up happening is time just keeps moving and life just keeps going and we just keep getting busier and busier and busier and we become slaves to a standard of living that we've created for ourselves. And the next thing you know, God and the church gets our leftovers. And then we wonder why the church lacks power and why all these things are going on around us and that we're not overcoming with good it's because we're disconnected or not connected enough. We have a hard time shaking this consumer mentality, don't we? And it has to do with the culture that we, we live in. I mean, we're very fortunate to live in this country, amen? You know, think about all the freedoms we have, all the opportunities we have. We can come here on a Sunday morning and we can worship together. You know, we, we can own Bibles. There are radio stations that play Christian music. There are preachers and, and podcasts. And there's so much at our fingertips. So many resources. And yet we barely use them. Instead, because we're, we're so spoiled... I was going to say sorry, but I'm not because we, we, we are. <laughs> we, we come to church and, and we, we start asking questions like, what can this church do for me? What can I get out of this place? Does it meet my preferences? Do I like the music? Do the people look like me, think like me, act like me, vote like me? And that's how we choose churches. And don't get me wrong, when we first come to church, these things matter to some degree. And certainly if false doctrine or heresy is being preached or taught, then we should definitely take issue with that and correct it. 
But that's not what I'm talking about here. We become critics of the church in the same way we critique the restaurants we visit, don't we? We spend so much time making sure all our boxes are checked that we miss the main message. To love God, to love others, to be and make disciples, to stay connected, to move. Jesus said, go. Being members of the priesthood means we're supposed to be serving others, leading people to Christ, and then building them up once we do. And this consumer mentality has led us to this sort of consumer-driven church. So what happens is, is we feel like we have to entertain or make it more palatable for people or more enjoyable for people so they'll show up. But that's not really what we want. What we want is, is we want converts. We want disciples. We want people who choose Jesus to live for Jesus who are going to be part of this church. And I don't mean this one. I'm talking about the universal church. And oftentimes we invite them to church on a Sunday and they may have a, a moment where God speaks to them and they come up and they pray or, or they give their life to Jesus. And you know what we do? We leave them there. Because we think, oh, the leaders will handle that. The pastors will talk to them. But every single one of us is responsible to fulfill the Great Commission, aren't we? All of us are called to make disciples, not just invite people to church. Once they get there, once, the, once they've made that profession of faith, now the relationship intensifies and it begins, really begins. And that's when we start doing life together. That's when we did what Jesus did, what he demonstrated. And it has great results. But it's hard to do when there's so many people and so few doing it. <clears throat> we need to create a culture of accountability within the priesthood. And that means we're not only coming to church, but also being held accountable for the growth and maturity piece of Christianity. Right? I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? That means not only mapping out specific expectations, but also making sure these expectations are being pursued and followed through with. And this isn't legalism. It's not us or, or anyone trying to mobilize people for pet projects. That's not what this is about. It's the expectation of the priesthood. And this is what it means to make spiritual sacrifices and live as God's own possessions. You know, the hard conversations are some of the best conversations. We don't like them most of the time. Who loves to receive correction? Okay. Who needs correction? Well, that's pretty lopsided. But it proves my point. We all need it, but we all hate hearing it. And the reality is, is unless we have relationships that provide that kind of accountability in our life, then we won't grow. We won't be corrected. We won't overcome the strongholds and the struggles that are holding us back and keeping us from being the church or the priesthood that God has called us to be. 
And so we all need to willingly involve ourselves in this. You know? I mean, this is an official invitation. If you want to do more or get more engaged, please do. There is so much to be done. And I don't mean on the business side of things. I'm talking about people. There are so many people that need service in so many different levels. People that need to be engaged that we wish we could engage. People that need to be discipled or mentored that we just can't all the time. There's only so many hours in a day, right? So I want to talk now that I've beat you up a little bit. Anybody hurt? Anybody feeling a little convicted this morning? Okay. You want me to keep going in that? Yeah. We'll see you after, Bruce. (laughs) So let's talk about the hope. The hope of the priesthood. This priesthood wields the power of hope. And anyone here, or all of us here, should know that hope is one of the most powerful things that anyone can possess. Hope is also meant to be shared. We're called to live in and share the eternal hope that we have in Jesus, church. Humans spend their whole lives looking for things to put their hope in, don't they? I mean, think about where you were up until you found Christ. Many start off investing their time and education in hopes to someday have a great career and live the life that they hoped for or envisioned, right? Many hope to find the perfect mate that will complete them and walk with them as they live the life that they've hoped for. That doesn't exist, by the way, except for me. See, the problem is there's nothing in this world is perfect, is it? We hope for success, wealth, adventure, peace, love, and the list goes on. But things rarely go as planned, do they? And when they fall apart or don't look the way we expected, we lose hope. Because we've put our hope in those things. Those temporary, rarely possible things. And don't get me wrong, some of us have had great lives. We've, we've had moderate or great success in, in a worldly perspective. But even then, what happens? We realize that it's not what we thought it was. Anybody that's lived, we'll call it a good amount of years, and has had those worldly successes will tell you that the most important things in their lives are not money, are not job titles, the home they live in, or the cars they drive. It's the people in their lives. It's the relationships. And so if you want to enrich your relationships, if we want to become the people that we were called to be in the context of these relationships, then this is where it begins. Apart from Christ, we're hopeless, aimless, and fearful, aren't we? So it's only when we help others to realize the hope we have in Jesus that they can be rescued from the hopelessness that the world in this life generously provides. So church, 
this morning we sit here full of hope. Full of hope. And I think sometimes we lose the excitement about that. Or we just get used to it or complacent, don't we? And we just throw it in our pocket and then keep moving on. But the reality is, is that we're recipients of God's grace. We're partakers in the promises of God. And we're not called to be consumers and just hold on to these things for ourselves. So let's leave here today with the mindset of the priesthood and share the hope of the world with everyone and anyone that we can. Amen? And ask the worship team to come on up. And as you stand up and, and, and we worship him together, I just want you to think about what, what was said here today. You know, some of it might have been very difficult for you to hear. Some of you may not like me very much after this message. And that's okay. I'm not really here to make friends. I'm here to love people. And sometimes loving people makes them dislike you. Did you know that? But the reality is, is that I care enough. Pastor Brian and Sam, we care enough to tell you the truth. Just like I was talking about with accountability. Because we want to see this work for you. We want to see the church be what it's supposed to be in this community. And we want to see God glorified in that process. Amen? So these altars are open. You know, and if you need to come and, and do business with God, if you need to come and, and just spend some time with him at his feet, you can do it from your seat as well. If you need prayer. But I just want you to really reflect today on what it means to be part of a royal priesthood. Amen?